I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. I have written to you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit, so from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. There ends the reading. One little announcement in the bulletin. You may have noticed, some of you may have noticed, the elders are interested in speaking to anybody who is interested in potentially preparing themselves for more effective ministry as a Christian. Maybe full-time, maybe not. If you're interested in some ministry training, if you're interested in perhaps in going to Bible college, we would love to speak to you. So if that might be you, the names of the elders are in the bulletin there. Track one of us down and have a chat. We do want to raise up leaders from our church and we want to be intentional about that. And if you're potentially in that space, give us a call. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand your word here in Romans. Help us to understand what it means to be living as exiles, as your people set apart in, in a strange land, but, but doing that together for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you are ambitious. I hope you are. Because it's good to be ambitious. You need ambition to have a goal and a purpose in life. Often when we talk about ambition, we relate it to our job or some sort of mission, some sort of direction that we're on. So one day... I hope to be CEO or, or partner in a law firm, let's say. One day I hope to be principal of, the, of a high school. One day I hope to be pastor of a massive church. So everybody knows my name. Why do we have these ambitions? Well, there's perhaps lots of reasons, but often with achieving these things there comes a measure of power, a prestige. Oh, you're so-and-so. Comfort. Maybe that's some of your ambition is just to be comfortable. Money, and with money comes power and influence. The question is, what does God want from your life? That's a question I put before you today. What does God want from your life? And think of your potential ambitions and how do they fit in with what God might want for your life. The Apostle Paul was an incredibly ambitious man and he had every right to be. He was brilliant, quite an exceptional person. He was incredibly zealous. 
Not only did he have a good mind, but he had that with this remarkable drive and focus. He was well educated. He had opportunity. The Apostle Paul was one of these people on the fast track. Straight to the top. A bloke worth watching. He tells us in Galatians chapter 1, which is after Corinthians, Verse 15, he says, verse 14, 13, you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. He was a Jew of Jews. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. At one stage in Paul's life, that was his ambition, to destroy Christians, to destroy the church. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and I was extremely zealous for the, for the traditions of my fathers. That is until Jesus Christ took hold of him. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me to, by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. Jesus Christ took hold of Paul to preach Jesus Christ amongst the Gentiles. We read the same thing back in Acts chapter 26 in a number of places, but particularly in Acts 26, Paul says, you know, I was persecuting the church, I was the greatest Jew, I was a passionate, passionate person, till one day I'm on on the road to Damascus to attack the church in this city of Damascus and the Lord Jesus appeared to me in Acts chapter 26, 15. I said, who are you, Lord? As he struck to the ground and he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and of what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles and I am sending you to them. That's what Jesus says, I am sending you to them to open their eyes to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive the forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me, says Jesus. Jesus grabs Paul and says, you've got a new job, Paul. Saul, he was called in those days. You've got a new mission. You have new ambitions. And there was for Paul from that moment total life transformation. Paul speaks of his ambition three times using the word that we would most commonly translate ambition. What is Paul's ambition once Jesus had taken hold of him? Well, 2 Corinthians 5, 9. So we make it our goal or we make it our ambition to please the Lord whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Paul's ambition is to please the Lord. How else does Paul state his ambition? Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. He's teaching others. He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands just as we told you. Make it your ambition to lead a simple life, a productive life and to please the Lord. 
That's what Jesus does with Paul's ambitions. They're very humble and quite general ambitions about your whole way approach to life. Today's passage we're looking at from Romans chapter 15. Paul speaks of his more specific ambition. And as we see his ambition, we see something of his heart. And I pray we see something of a challenge to what might be your ambitions. That you might have the ambition to please God and to live a simple life, a quiet life, a humble life, being productive and that you might have an ambition, something like Paul's more specific ambition in Romans chapter 15. The section we're on in Romans chapter 15 really starts a new section of Romans where Paul begins his personal wrap-up of the whole letter. It's very personal. It's about Paul and what he's doing and the people he knows. Up to this point in the last few sections, he's been urging the Christians in Rome to accept one another, to embrace one another without judgment, that they might have unity, whether they're a Jew or whether they're a non-Jew, that they might be one united church because that is what God had intended from ages past. That is God's kingdom purpose. And then he says in verse 14 of chapter 15, almost apologetically after writing these things, he says, listen, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. He says, it's not that I don't trust you. I mean, you're a great church. You've got everything you need in knowledge, in the ability to teach one another. You're, you're good. So why did I write you such a deep and convicting, bold letter? Well, he says in verse 15, but I have written to you quite boldly on some points. You've got it all. You know it all. But I've written to you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again. As reminding you because of the grace. Here's the reason. Because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the nations, to the Gentiles, with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles or nations might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now there is a lot there in those two verses and I haven't got time for all that's just in those two verses. But basically Paul says, the reason I wrote to you so boldly, even though you've got it all and you know it all, is because I'm just doing my job. You see, God, by his grace, has called me to serve him as a priest, Paul says. And I have to offer sacrifices like a priest would have done in the Old Testament days. I have to offer holy sacrifices to God that are pleasing to him. That's what I've got to do. And I do that, says Paul, by proclaiming the good news of Jesus amongst the nations, to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. So that as they respond to the good news of Jesus and come to faith in him, so they are cleansed by the Holy Spirit and made acceptable to God. 
They, the nations, as I tell them about Jesus and they respond, they are my sacrifice that I offer to God as a priest. That's us. As we, even as we read Romans, we are Paul's sacrifice offered to God. Paul says, how couldn't I write to you boldly? How couldn't I remind you of these good truths about Jesus, about God's purposes to unite Jew and non-Jew, all the nations together under the kingship of King Jesus? How could I not write boldly about these things? I'm just doing my job. God, by his grace, has set me apart for these things. I'm just doing my priestly duty. Now, none of you have Paul's gifting. I doubt that hardly any of you have Paul's zeal. And none of you have been set apart to be an apostle to the nations, like Paul has. But we are all, remember what Christine was saying in Jeremy, we are all a royal priesthood, a holy nation, set apart for God, that we might declare his praises. God's got work for us to do just like he had work for Paul to do. You are just as precious in God's sight as the Apostle Paul. You have a role in God's eternal purposes just as he did. A different role. But Christ is at work in you by his Spirit just as he was through the Apostle Paul and God has apportioned us good works that we might walk in them. You are not an accident in God's kingdom. You are part of his royal priesthood. In fact, you are part of Paul's sacrifice, Romans chapter 12. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Make it your ambition to please the Lord. Make it your ambition, as Paul did, to do the good works God has set aside for you. And as you do, will you trust God and do your job? Because that's all Paul was doing, was doing his job. Will you do your job with the specific circumstance God has placed you? There may not be a lot of glory in that. I've read a book recently written by uh, uh, theologian Don Carson about his father, Tom Carson. A little bit of a memoir. Tom Carson was a Baptist minister in Quebec, in Canada, French-speaking Canada, French Canada. In the 50s and 60s when there was incredible persecution against anyone who wasn't Catholic. He led small Baptist churches of 30 to 40 people, once in one's town, trying to build up a work, trying to tell people about Jesus and the fact they could be saved by faith. And he faced incredible discouragement and resistance from civil authorities, from people personally, just by running a teeny-weeny Baptist church in Quebec. And year after year, he just did his job that he felt God had called him to. 
to minister in Quebec. And he saw very little fruit, as we would imagine fruit might be. But out of his ministry came Don Carson. And if you know anything about current Christian scholarship and current Christian leadership, Don Carson's a big name. When I was at Bible college, I used to joke, he's the evangelical pope. He's not quite, that's terrible. (laughs) His dad slogged away in small churches in hostile environments for years. In the 70s and the early 80s, the Bible-believing churches in Quebec started exploding. Tom Carson didn't lead that work. He kept plugging away in the hard times. But he gave birth and raised a son who has had a huge impact. His daughter was a missionary in, in New Guinea and his kids all followed the Lord. And God was doing his work as Tom Carson just did what God had called him to do without much glory. Certainly not the glory the Apostle Paul has had. He was faithfully serving as a priest, as you must, in your context, in your trials and troubles, and with your sacrifices. In trial and in joy, just do the job God has given you. Here's the thing though, just like the Apostle Paul, just like even Tom Carson, you cannot do your job You cannot do the good works Christ has apportioned for you unless Christ does his work first. And really this is our confidence and our hope when things are tough. It's not our work. The Apostle Paul was incredibly successful by any standard. I mean, for goodness sake, he wrote Romans, not to mention the other books. He, he transformed the world. He, through his ministry, the gospel exploded through the Roman Empire. But boy, he suffered for it. And he had lots of reasons, though, to get a big head as the apostle. But he never had a big head because he knew where the power came from. If you've got your Bible open, look at verse 17. Paul says, I've done my job. That's why I'm writing to you. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles, signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit. It's all Jesus working through me, says Paul. Sometimes we think that it's our job to do the work And our job to pursue our ambitions and ask God to come in as our helper. Help me, Lord. That is wrong thinking. God is the agent. We are the instrument. We are but a pen in his hands, a tool for his crafting. God is the agent. We are the instruments. It was for Paul, it is for you and I. Not I but Christ. Not I have done this in any work you do, but the grace of God working through me. And as Christ worked through Paul, so Paul worked. Verse 19b. 
So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, which is sort of Albania, old Yugoslavia, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. I've done my bit. Can you see here God's sovereignty that Christ is doing all the work with our responsibility in that wonderful tension? Yes, you have your job to do, but God's doing the work and that compels us and pushes us forward. Paul says, I've just done my job and I've finished the race and I've kept the faith as the Lord Jesus has worked through me. Now here's my challenge to you again. Do you believe that Jesus is working through you? Each day, every day, by his spirit. Even pursuing your ambitions. Uh, we've got to get away from this sacred, secular divide. That yes, the Lord's working through me when I teach Sunday school or when I lead a Bible study or I, I participate in Pano Life. Because I'm doing my God work then. No, 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 no. You are a priest. You've been set up. Christ has good works for you to do as you live as a living sacrifice. So I want you to ask, if you're working, if you're in the workforce at the moment, think about what you do week to week, day to day. And I want you to ask, is Christ doing his work as I do my work? How is Christ doing his work? He should be. If you're at home most of the time, maybe looking after family or in a different context, is Christ doing his work as you do your work? I want you to think about your leisure time as you play those computer games, as you go to the movies, you spend time on Facebook, as you go on a cruise or a holiday as you pursue your hobbies or spend time in the garden, how is Christ doing his work as you do your work? He should be and you should be. As you spend time in Christian community, like you are now, like people teaching Sunday school upstairs, how is Christ doing his work as you do your work? Oh, that our ambitions might reach every corner of our lives, even down to our computer game playing, that we might always be found doing holy work. What I want to challenge you all with now is I want you to think of one area in your life that you need to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. Because in that area Christ needs to do his work and you're not letting him because it's your work only. Just one area of your life. Go home, think about it, pray about it. Maybe your computer games, I don't know. Maybe your Facebook. Maybe your work work.
which you separate out from your ministry work. Horror. Paul says, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. May we do the same. So Paul had these ambitions. He wanted to please the Lord. He wanted to live a quiet, simple life, productive life. The third mention of his ambitions we only actually find here in verse 20. This is the third time he mentions his ambitions in the scriptures. It has always been my ambition, says Paul, to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Paul is saying that I still have ambitions because my work is not finished. I must press on with the Lord Jesus. In fact, if Christ is not named in an area, if people don't know about Jesus and his good news, that's where I want to go. That's my ambition. I want to see, I want to press on and I want to see what Jesus will do through me in those places where he's never been heard of before. And again, as Paul often does, he quotes the Old Testament. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see. Those who have not heard will understand. He's quoting from Isaiah 52. Those of you who know your Bibles, Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 52 is an introduction to a great passage about God's righteous servant who will bear the sins of many like a sacrificial lamb that they may be set free and who will then be exalted. It starts, introduced in Isaiah 52 in this very passage. Let me read it to you. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his forms marred beyond human likeness, so he will sprinkle many nations. Many will be appalled, yes, at his suffering, But through that he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, here's the passage quoted, for what they were not told they will see and what they have not heard they will understand. There's this righteous servant of God who's coming who's going to die for the sins of many. It's going to be appalling But even kings and nations, says Isaiah in this introduction, they're going to see and they're going to understand his wonderful work. Paul says, that's what I'm about. I want to go where he's never been named, Jesus Christ, this promised Messiah servant. And I want to tell them about him so they might believe and be saved. I want every knee to bow before Jesus, the righteous Lord, the Saviour. In verse 28, Paul tells the Romans, I want to go to Spain. Because I don't think they know about Jesus in Spain. 
That's my ambition. And actually I want to come via you guys so that you can help me and so that I can encourage you. And that's why I'm writing to you. It's all part of my mission, my ambition. And Why haven't I come to you yet? Because you're like the capital of the empire. Why haven't I come to Rome? Verse 22. Well, this is why I have often been hindered from coming to you because, man, my mission, my ambition, there's just so many places where Jesus hasn't been known yet. And there's already you guys, you're already in Rome. I don't need to go there. Because people know about Jesus in Rome. But I've been so busy telling other people about Jesus. He says, help me to press on in serving Jesus. Because without him I can do nothing. And I want people to know about Jesus. In our world today, there are still many, many places where Jesus' name is still not known. Paul still has work to do. His mission must continue. Jeff and Beth in Central Asia, as people resistant to the name of Jesus as Lord, seeking to make his name known. People in Mongolia going to the outer regions in a Buddhistic, communistic country, confused country, saying, do you know about Jesus? The servant who can save, that God promised. The working class in Taiwan who seem to be bypassed. Do you know about Jesus who can save you from this idol worship? And it's tough. It was for Paul. But God's purposes haven't changed. And he still calls his people to press on with him as each plays its part. We have different callings. You are not living in Central Asia. Maybe you should be. Maybe that's God's calling on your life. But for the moment you are not. But your involvement in God's kingdom purposes in doing good works hasn't changed from Jeff and Beth, from the Apostle Paul, from William Carey 200 years ago or whoever. Paul had big ambitions. He realised them through suffering and sacrifice. That's what it's like if you have a big ambition, isn't it? You want to be CEO? You better put in some hard yards. You want to be partner? In a big law firm, you've got to do the yards. It's hard work. See, we need ambition. We need to be prepared to make the sacrifices ambition calls upon us to make. But what I pray is like Paul, that we would have sanctified ambition. Sanctified means made holy. Holier, set apart ambitions. Set apart to God ambitions that we might have a fire in the belly that's full of sanctified ambitions. And here is my challenge to you, my big challenge I think tonight, today. Do you sanctify your ambitions or do you pursue sanctified ambitions? There's a big difference. Sanctify your ambitions. You want to be partner in a law firm? Good. Because you want all the wrappings and trappings that come with that. 
I want the money, I want the power, I want the status, I want the influence. And so you sanctify your ambitions. Oh, if I become partner, I'll be able to earn a lot more and give a lot more to Christian work and, and I'll be a person of significance and influence and I might do a bit of pro no bono work for the church on the side. Yeah, I can do that because I can make my own choices when I'm partner. And you sanctify your ambitions. You give them a nice Christian veneer. How much you'll be able to do for God when you realise your goal but your ambition is indeed just truly, fundamentally for your own glory and your own comfort and your own prestige. And frankly, you do not need Jesus Christ to realise your ambition. You do not need his power to do that. Lots of people do it without Jesus. And you press on with Jesus... Where and for what? As you sanctify your ambition. It's ungodly. How different it is when we have sanctified ambitions where we absolutely need Jesus and we need the power of his spirit because we cannot do it on our own. And your ambitions then are caught up in God's eternal purposes. To make Jesus known to see his church mature and be unified and be praising his name. Now you know what? You may still want to be partner in a law firm because that's not a bad thing. But when you have sanctified ambitions, God's calling on your life intersects with every part of your life 24-7. It's not just about being partner. It's about living for Jesus and for his kingdom and his glory. It makes a huge difference because your ambitions spill into your home life, into your leisure, into your church life 24-7 and you can't do anything without Jesus. You may end up being CEO or principal or pastor of a big church. Or you may end up trying to start up a dairy goat farm in Central Asia and make cheese. Doesn't matter because whatever you're doing, it's all for the glory of God and all for his kingdom and his power and his glory that Jesus might be known. And as you age, you know one of the hard things about the ambitions we set up? Getting old just tears them to pieces. Getting sick throws them on the floor. But you know what happens when you've got sanctified ambitions? Nothing changes. You get old and your goals change. Your objectives change but not your purpose, not your ambition, not the fire in the belly. Lord, make me more prayerful. Help me to age with grace. May I set a godly example for others. May I always not be cranky but looking out to love and to serve even though I'm frail. Makes a huge difference if you have sanctified ambitions. 
and you sanctify your ambitions and you will just be dead meat once you get to that stage where you cannot any longer become partner. In fact, they sack you. All the other partners kick you out because you're just getting too old. You know, if you want to have sanctified ambitions, if you want to get really graceful as you get old, you can't do that on your own. You need Jesus. You need the power of his spirit. And as a church, you know, as a church, as a corporate body, a royal priesthood corporately, we need sanctified ambitions because we too can sanctify our ambitions. Lord, make us more glorious. May Penno have fame and renown and have be large in size and have the cutting edge of everything ministry-wise. So people come and say, what are they doing at Pano? As we sanctify our ambitions. Big staff, big budget, big buildings, big names. You can do all of that without Jesus. The Mormons do. You can't do anything if you've got sanctified ambitions without Jesus Christ and the power of his spirit. We have a vision, we have ambitions, we call it towards 20,000, 2020. As I look at that vision, one of the things I'm encouraged is that we can't do any of that without Jesus. I hope that they're wrapped up in God's kingdom purposes. What we want to do is we want to send people from this church in teams to strategic kingdom opportunities and hopefully continue to see this church grow as we send people away. We want to raise up leaders that we can send from our church. We want to minister amongst the poor and vulnerable that they may know hope and life and the fullness of life in Jesus Christ. We want to increase our giving to ministry beyond the walls of this church to those who make Jesus known throughout the world, whether Central Asia or Taiwan or Mongolia or wherever. We want to increase in our, our, our willingness to be involved in relational evangelism that each one of us might just share Jesus naturally and see people come to faith in him. All for the glory of God. I believe they're good ambitions. Because I think God has good works prepared for us as a church to do, to walk into. And I want us to make sure that they stay sanctified ambitions. And that the Lord would keep us from sanctifying our ambitions. And putting a veneer on our glory. So are you ambitious? You know, you should be. Yes, we're all different with different gifts and different callings, but God is at work. And you know, like every good father, our heavenly father is ambitious for his children. Every father is ambitious for their children. It's a good thing. They want them to do well in life, however well is defined. Our Father, our Heavenly Father, has righteous ambitions for us. He wants the best for us. 
He wants us to pursue things that are good, pleasing and perfect so that we might know more joy and peace. So the challenge I say again is do you want to please your father or please yourself? Let's pray.